you could open your Bibles uh, to Romans chapter 12, we'll start at verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor, serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Mourn with those who mourn. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to revenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him some, something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Easter morning, Sri Lanka, Sunday school teacher in a Sunday school class, um, a student in a nearby seminary asked the children, how many of you are willing to die for, for Christ? And every one of the children raised their hands. A few minutes later, that Sunday school class went to Zion Church's main service. And they passed through an outside courtyard. And in the courtyard, a stranger was speaking with the church leaders. He had discovered there was no Easter morning mass at the nearby Catholic church and was wondering when the service would begin. He asked, when is the healing service? Observers report he was sweating profusely. The pastor invited him to take off his backpack. Then an explosion. People inside thought it was the generator exploding. Half the children died instantly. All the children had responded to their teacher's question by putting their hands up signaled their fresh dedication to Jesus by lighting a candle. And for many of those children, it would be their final act of worship. In that church, there were 26 worshipers killed, 16 of them children. And a hundred more were injured. That was a charismatic congregation of the Fellowship of Free Churches in Sri Lanka. Two Catholic churches nearby in Colombo, the church, uh, the nation's uh, capital, were also attacked by suicide bombers that morning, along with three hotels. And you've seen that in the news, a number of people killed. So I asked the question, how should Christians respond to those kind of tragedies? And what should we do? And it just so happens that someone who spoke often at that church wrote an article. It was in Christianity Today, Six Things Christians Should Do When uh, These Kind of Disasters Take Place. And uh, those are my six points this morning, uh, which we are going to talk about. Point number one, how do you respond 
lament loss. Lament loss. You will notice in your scripture for today, Romans chapter 12, that it says, verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And we weep with them. Jesus Christ taught us to do this, to celebrate with those who celebrate. He went to banquets and meals, weddings, and he had a good time. And he went to funerals, and he wept. Sometimes there are no words, and all you can do, all you can do is weep together. The book of Proverbs says, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. You don't sing when people are crying. No, you weep, and you weep with them. And there are many psalms, communal psalms, that are psalms of lament. Psalm 74 and Psalm 80, just lamenting together how terrible some things are. Point number two, how should we respond? Condemn evil. Condemn evil. When something's not right, we should say so. When something is evil, condemn it. Too many times we judge right and wrong by how we feel about the perpetrator. That should have nothing to do with the facts of right and wrong. And we condemn when someone attacks individuals who are worshiping. doesn't matter what faith it is. It is all equally vile and wicked. Number three, alleviate suffering. Alleviate suffering. Help those who are in trouble. Here's what he writes. This person, uh, let me see what's his name. Ajith Fernando. Ajith Fernando. Part of the Christian answer to the problem of evil is action to alleviate suffering. As people made in the image of a God who works, the Bible is loaded with advice to care for those who are wounded and vulnerable. We must look for opportunities to help. Some of these are more formal projects done in an organized manner by groups, Christian or general community efforts. Others are personal responses. As representatives of the God of all comfort, we can seek to comfort those who are hurting. I was able to pray with my Hindu neighbor when he came home on Sunday and told me that his sister and her husband and daughter had died in one of the blasts. Visiting people in the hospital, donating blood, transporting the needy, providing meals, keeping people in our homes. These should be standard Christian practices which become part of the Christian lifestyle. Sri Lanka is not, uh, uh, violence is not unknown in Sri Lanka. A 30-some year war ended about 10 years ago. We have a number of Sri Lankans in Canada who were trying to escape that war. Um, there are two large groups of individuals in Sri Lanka, Sinhalese and Tamils. And we have a huge population of Tamils in Toronto. It is the second largest population of Tamils outside of Sri Lanka in Toronto. And they have come here to escape the fighting of Sri Lanka. 
It's funny that uh, in Sri Lanka there are a number of Muslims who have left uh, Pakistan to escape the violence of Pakistan, have gone to Sri Lanka, and now they are facing violence themselves for what took place on Easter Sunday. Alleviate suffering. Notice that's in your text for today. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hospitality is love of strangers. Having people into your home that you do not know, that you've only just met. And we can do this corporately as a church, but we should be doing it individually for sure. Hospital visits should be a regular activity by all of us, not just the pastor. Making meals and driving people around. And I know so many of you do that, and thank you so much. Taking people out for coffee and just doing good deeds for others. Point number four, what should we do? Leave vengeance to the Lord. Leave vengeance to the Lord. Um, right in your text today, it says, Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so de doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. So we do not avenge ourselves. Uh, when I was a kid, Charles Bronson was huge. And uh, he made three movies, Death Wish 1, 2, and 3. And he was avenging his family. And uh, we celebrated as he went out and blew people away because they deserved it. And the movie so sets itself up that you're cheering for him. This is great, but it's not Christian. One of the texts he quotes in Paul in Romans is from Leviticus. It says this, Leviticus 19. You've heard the second part of the verse. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge. But you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You do it because God is God. You are not God. Or Jesus put it this way. When he gave us our constitution for the church, our marching orders, Matthew 5, Sermon on the Mount. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. When Donald Trump was running for election, he claimed that was his favorite verse. I'm not making it up. Ridiculous. That should be no one's favorite verse. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic... Let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. 
You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? If you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Quotes the same thing in Hebrews 10. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. Vengeance, point two. God gives us government for the role of vengeance. God gives government the role of vengeance. If you've got your Bibles and you're in Romans 12, look at chapter 13. Sometimes you wonder, what good is government anyways? He tells you, Romans 13, rulers are not a terror to good conduct but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good. You will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Don't take vengeance. Leave it in the hands of government. Vengeance part three. God wants us to take our hands off of the revenge button, right? That little red button that you can push and wipe out the enemy. He doesn't give that as an option to you. Your option is instead doing good to your enemy. Vengeance part four. Some cultures and people have particular problems, cultural problems with vengeance. It is part of the culture that insists and pressures people to take vengeance. That's one of the problems in Sri Lanka. In fact, uh, I just read a Sri Lankan talking about how, how the gospel should inter- interject with culture. And he used his own culture as an example. He says Sri Lankan culture, two main problems with, with the gospel. Number one, we're liars and telling untruth is acceptable. And number two, revenge. When someone hurts your family, it's your duty and your job to hurt them back. And if your culture has particular problems with revenge, that's ungodly. Now, our culture has huge problems with the gospel. You can think about what those might be. Um, Maybe I should do another sermon on that the problems with our culture and the gospel, one of those is consumerism. Just the way that we buy and buy and buy things, that's not the gospel. The gospel is not that. But that's just, that's just part of our culture. We, loved it. we love to shop, and we love to have things, and our homes are full of things. Okay, that's another sermon. Here's what he writes. Revenge is often considered the honorable response to harm 
in Sri Lankan culture. It comes out of the correct notion that sin must be punished, but it's misapplied to personal revenge. We must teach our people that personal revenge does not solve problems. We leave it to the state and to God to handle that. That's a hard lesson for our people to learn. But I I believe that when it springs from the doctrine of God, there is a convincing base for people to latch onto. How important to teach these aspects of God's nature to Christians before tragedy strikes. Vengeance Part 5. Only Christians can let go of vengeance. Because we believe that God will execute justice and all deeds will be rewarded or punished. So we can let them go and put them in the hands of God. Response number five. Don't bear false witness. There's a temptation to paint broad brushstrokes on people when, it, when we look for someone to blame. We do it in politics, we do it in religion, and we do it with ethnicities. So in Sri Lanka, it's easy to say all Muslims are terrible when it is a few who have done these things. Christians do not have the luxury to be dishonest. We should speak what we know to be true and not bear false witness about others. Finally, point number six, what should we do? We should pray. Before I talk about that part, from the passage in your bulletin, I quickly came up with nine things about how Christians should respond if you look at your text. Starting in verse 14. Nine things. Verse 14. Number one. Bless those who persecute you. Bless those who persecute you. That's hard to do. Number two. Do not curse. Do not curse them. Sometimes uh, vile words are the first reaction and to say bad things. Do not curse them. Number three, weep with those who weep. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Number four, live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. We all like to associate with people of high position. We all like that. If you knew Wayne Gretzky, if you knew him and knew him well, you would tell other people about it. Hey, I know Wayne Gretzky. He's a good friend of mine. Right? That's, that's because we love associating with people of high position. And we don't love associating with people of low position. Forgot where I was. Uh, number five. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. That's verse 17. Number six, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Number seven, never avenge yourselves. Do not take revenge, my dear friends. We've already talked about that. Number eight, help your enemy. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, Give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. I don't think you're supposed to be thinking, I want to hurt him as much as I can. (laughs) 
And the best way I can hurt him is to help him. But if you help him, hopefully that will convict him. And finally, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That's point number nine and the last verse. Well, the last point is we should pray. Pray for those that are hurting. Pray for those that are attacking. And pray for those who are trying to bring about peace. For those of you who weren't um, at the wedding of uh, Michaela and Jeremy um, a week ago, um, Michaela had chosen Michaela and Jeremy had chosen a verse for their wedding ceremony and for their marriage for the day, and uh, they gave me the verse to speak on that verse, and it came from Second Chronicles chapter twenty. And in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, the southern part of Israel, Judah, was being attacked. And three kingdoms had joined together, Ammon, Moab, and Edom, and another, another, another kingdom from across the sea. And they were coming to attack Judah. They didn't know what to do. And so the king, Jehoshaphat, gathered all the people and they prayed. And their prayer is found in Second Chronicles chapter 20. And the last part of the prayer, Michaela and Jeremy chose as their wedding verse. And here's what it says. O oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. I said to Michaela, what kind of a wedding verse is that? She goes, not that part of the verse, the last part. <laughs> the last part says this, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And I suggested to Michaela and Jeremy, uh, number one for your wedding and your marriage is you should pray. That's what this is. It's a prayer. Number two, have humility we don't know what to do. And number three, keep your eyes on God and Jesus Christ. Our eyes are on you. Well, that was the prayer. We're being attacked. We need your help. And the answer came back. A prophet came and said, here's God's answer. You don't have to be, you don't have to be afraid. The Lord will be with you. It's interesting the response that happens and the way God answers the prayer. In this case, they are not wiped out. As the enemy comes, they pray, and Jehoshaphat does something weird. He actually puts the choir out front of the army. And some preachers have suggested that's what you should do with all choirs. But, <laughs> sorry, Dan. They, quit the, they put the choir out front, and the choir begins to sing. And then as, as they head out to battle, they hear back news, something is happening to the enemy. And what happens to the enemy is the enemy begins to fight amongst themselves. They don't trust each other, and they wipe out each other. And by the, by the time Jehoshaphat and the army shows up, the battle's over. <laughs> it's been taken care of. 
not all of our problems are going to be solved that way. But when these kind of things arise, our first response should be we need to turn to the Lord in prayer, corporately and individually, and ask for God's help. And the promise that the Lord will be with us is true no matter what. No matter how he answers the prayer, that part will be, he will be with us. And so we pray for Christians around the world who are facing persecution. We pray for those who are from other religions and also being attacked while they worship. It's not right. And uh, people should be able to live at peace. As Christians, we believe you should not come to Christ because you feel forced or coerced. In fact, it won't work. You come to Christ only because you want to and you do it freely and willingly. Otherwise, it's not real. That's what we believe, right? Absolutely. That's our prayer, our prayer for this world. So let's just close in a word of prayer.